You're listening to CRV Ambreed's Better Herd podcast, brought to you in partnership with the New Zealand Dairy Exporter. Join us as we talk to CRV Ambreed experts, industry leaders and farmers about hot topics and issues affecting herd improvement in New Zealand's dairy industry today. Keep current with industry news and get practical tips for improving the health and efficiency of your herd. Welcome to the first episode in CRV's Better Herd podcast series. I'm your host, Cheryl Haitana from the New Zealand Dairy Exporter magazine. We're hitting the ground running today and talking about a topic that affects dairying businesses across the country, animal evaluation. You may have heard that breeding companies CRV, Ambreed and LIC have been collaborating with Dairy NZ subsidiary New Zealand Animal Evaluation Limited, otherwise known as NZAEL. They have been tasked with replacing genetic evaluation software with a nationally consistent, independent genetic evaluation system for dairy cattle. The first stage of this joint venture was launched recently with the release of the new software NZAEL 2.0 and updates to all the breeding worth, BW, and production worth, PW traits. The second stage will incorporate a genomic index into the animal evaluation calculation by February 2021. Today, I'm sitting down with NZAEL manager Brian Wickham and CRV's National Sales and Marketing Manager John Lee to talk about what these recent changes mean for farmers and what is coming down the pipeline. Brian Wickham took up the mantle of manager at NZAEL 12 months ago and has been liaising with LIC and CRV Ambreed to develop this national independent genetic evaluation system. John Lee has been with CRV since March last year. He has held senior roles in the dairy genetic sector and now leads CRV's team of around 35 field representatives and regional managers. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for joining me today. No worries. Thank you. Brian, what does it mean for the New Zealand dairy industry to have an independent national animal evaluation system that the herd improvement companies contribute data to? The key aspect of this is that we've established independent of the interests of particular breeding companies, a national breeding objective. And that is focused on the things or the attributes of an animal that are really important to farmers long term. Secondly, independence is about using all the available data to evaluate the bulls regardless of who owns them, which farms they're on, according to this long-term objective for breeding cattle. And the key aspect is that in the long run, we want to combine all of the available data, whether it comes from individual breeding companies or different herd records providers or breed societies, whatever the source. And by doing that, we can actually provide evaluations that are more accurate than any one of those can provide on their own. Fantastic. So, John, how significant to the industry has this recent collaboration been between NZAEL and the top two herd improvement companies in New Zealand? I think it's been really significant in that um, both uh, of the two top breeding companies and ourselves and uh, LIC, we have different breeding programs and uh, we have different ways that we approach breeding. The great thing about this is that we're working together to help build a future and an index for uh, farmers going forward, not only for the animal that they need today, but for the animal that they need tomorrow. And um, the exciting thing has been that the farmer has been at the centre of all of our discussions, which has been great. Great. So, yeah, Brian, obviously this is going to bring huge value to farmers out there, regardless of which breeding company they're using. Yes, that's absolutely the goal. And this is really a two-step 
process that we're going through. Up until February of 2020, we've had an evaluation system that we affectionately now call NZAL 1.0. We've done a total replacement of that, and that is going to have some impact on the BWs and PWs of individual animals, and farmers are going to see this and are going to have questions about why some went up and others went down. The actual way this information is presented to farmers isn't changing. The concept of a BW hasn't changed. It's all about long-term profitability from genetically suitable animals. So as you say, all BW and PW traits have been adjusted in the latest software upgrade to NZAEL 2.0. Two significant changes have been made to remove the effect of inbreeding and also a better recognition of trait differences between breeds. Can you give us a bit of an explanation on why these changes have been made and and what they mean for farmers? One of the key aspects of genetic improvement is that the systems that we use are continually improving and research is finding new ways and better ways of evaluating animals according to their genetic potential. So one of the aspects that we're dealing with here is inbreeding. Inbred animals, on average perform less well than non-inbred animals. An inbred animal is is one that's just got common ancestors on both sides of the pedigree. So uh, you can look back and you can see the same animal appearing in different places in the pedigree. That's what inbreeding is ultimately all about. And this does have a depressing effect on various traits. So when we're trying to figure out whether a bull is breeding more productive animals or more fertile animals, whichever trait we're looking at, We need to look at their daughters because, of course, the bull doesn't produce milk himself or uh, reproduce himself. So we look at their daughters and we're saying, well, actually, some of these daughters are quite inbred and therefore we would expect them to be perhaps not quite as productive or not quite as fertile. And it's important if we're going to assess the bull that we actually assess his contribution to the merit of these daughters and therefore we take out that impact of inbreeding. So that's kind of what's going on, is to try and remove the influence of inbreeding from our evaluation of the bulls, who themselves are not actually causing the inbreeding as such. So Brian, how does this new 2.0 software bring more accuracy to genetic animal evaluations? So there are those two bits. So the bit I've just talked about is better accounting for some things that we know influence production that are not to do with the the merit of the bull. And the other is we're using better tools. And this, again, it's part of the scientific evolution, revolution that's going on. We now have better tools for solving these incredibly large numbers of all sorts of complex equations and things. And our tools available today, the ones we've just put in place, are better than the ones we've replaced. And that gives us more stable evaluations and ultimately greater accuracy. So with this new software, it's faster, it gives more reliable results. Will farmers see results come through faster when they get their animal evaluation or will they see any change there in terms of when they can get their results back? The timing of the results really won't change much. Farmers get access to the results on their cows through their herd records providers, so LICs, Minder and CFEs Insight. The way we're doing the calculations, particularly with LIC and their Minder service, is we're now doing things in parallel rather than series. So we do take a week out of the 
time delay. But I mean, overall, it's, it's not large and it's not about timing as much as it is about accuracy. So John, with Insight, how often are farmers herd testing nowadays and wanting their herd records so typically farmers will herd test uh, four times a year. Now that varies depending on um, the different weather patterns that happen, uh, financial patterns that happen. Sometimes we see that rationalised down to, to two herd tests, maybe one at the beginning of the lactation and one at the end of the lactation. But typically it's about four times and you know that helps them to make their breeding decisions and their uh, culling decisions as well. So it's pretty impactful. It goes into their information systems, uh, ours being um, Insight soon to be my herd, and then they use that to make those decisions. So from your point of view, having higher accuracy on these animal rankings, is that going to help your farmers make better breeding decisions? Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, the price of a dairy cow over the last few years has varied from anywhere from 1500 to $2,500. And when you're uh, making decisions whether you should keep one of those cows or not, you need the most up-to-date information. And when you consider the season that we're in now with the drought that we have, uh, the price of food is pretty expensive and um, farmers want to make sure that the for the price of food that they're putting into that animal, they want to make sure they get the very best production they can get. So um, having the most up-to-date, accurate information is efficient and it uh, helps make money. So Brian, there has been a significant impact on the BW of Holstein Frisians through these recent changes. How can you explain this and does it send a message that Holstein Frisians are no longer a profitable breed? There's a lot of variation in all breeds and there's actually much more variation within the breed than there is between the breeds. And farmers really need to think seriously about what breeds of cattle they want to have and if they want to pursue a a breeding policy with just one breed, then they only have to worry about finding the best animals of that breed. If they're prepared to think about using multiple breeds, then there's the opportunity of selection across all the breeds. And uh, of course, there's a lot of different options that are available there. And they need to think about the possibility of heterosis and hybrid vigor in the offspring. So that's something you need to think about when you're going to be mating across the breeds, choosing size of other breeds for your cows. And the other thing that I think is important here is to just talk about at least a bit, is to think about how the bulls that are available from the different breeding companies are related to the cows in your herd. If they are closely related, then you're going to produce inbred offspring. And that has a slight depressing effect on the production, as I mentioned earlier. So don't just rank the bulls according to their BW and pick the top ones. You need to think about what breed you want. You need to think about uh, how the bulls on the list are related to your cows and then make some well-informed decisions. This is not about ultimately comparing breeds. It's about making decisions on which bulls uh, you're going to select to breed your replacements. And I think I'd like to add to that that, you know, dairy farming isn't just about numbers for a lot of dairy farmers. There's a real passion there and there's a real emotional attachment to their animals. So when it comes to breeding decisions, it's not just always about the numbers. As a breeding company, we'd like to think that that might be the case, but um, in real terms, farmers like to milk jerseys. Farmers like to milk Frisians. And so there's a real emotional degree there as well that an animal evaluation system is never going to be able to measure. 
And I guess I could just add a little bit more to that. I mean, I've been around long enough to see this swing go backwards and forwards a few times over the last 50 years. Uh, So don't be too alarmed if it does swing a bit as the relative value of different milk components change, as we get a better understanding of how genetically different they are for fertility traits and new traits come in. I think uh, anybody making breeding decisions understands that this is a long, slow process and it pays to keep a fairly steady course on the whole thing. Thanks, Brian. Specifically on that BW of the Holstein Frisians coming down, is that reflective of the milk fat and milk protein value at the moment? How do- so the, the BW takes account of a whole bunch of traits. Milk fat, milk protein is, is one of them. And as you know, fat has become relatively more valuable in recent times. Um, I can remember back to when it was the only trait. Uh, we went through that long period where protein was the only thing that mattered. But there are also other traits that are taken account of. So fertility. The new model, I think, is is actually accounting for fertility a bit better than the old model did, and we sort of alluded to that a little bit earlier. And that does show a bigger difference between the breeds than we did previously show for fertility. Jerseys are relatively a bit better than we perhaps thought they were in the past. Live weight is an important component of the BW. Uh, the breed difference is on average now about 100 kilos. So we, I think we've got a better estimate of that than we've had in the past. So all of these traits contribute and uh, we're going to keep working to refine them in the future. So don't be surprised if things bounce around a bit more in the future. So the intent over the next 12 months is to collaborate and create a national genomic value to add to these animal evaluations. Brian, how much value do you think having a national genomic value will give New Zealand dairy farmers? Genomics as a technology has been available for dairy cattle breeding in a practical sense for about 12 years, and the impact is dramatic. Uh, There's no other way of describing it. And just worth talking a little bit about what I mean by genomics. Genomics is a technology which enables a blood sample or a tissue sample or hair sample or something from an animal just to be analysed for the DNA content of that particular animal. The sort of standard is 50,000 genetic variants are examined in one of these tests. Uh, The cost of these tests has come down. I recall in 2008, we were paying about 600 New Zealand dollars for one test. The price today is 30 to 40 New Zealand dollars for that same 50,000 genetic variant. So the price has come down dramatically. What it does, though, is it lets um, you take a blood sample of a newborn animal and figure out its genetic capability probably just about as good as you could if you had uh, 20 to 50 progeny of that animal. So just think about that. You now know as much the day it's born as you might get to find out if you kept it long enough to have 20 to 50 or maybe even 100 progeny, depending on the trait. So this this brings the decision-making opportunities for farmers and breeders right back to the time of birth rather than waiting for a long time to get them a, get a whole bunch of performance records on them. So that's where it's really dramatic. I think what's kind of unique about the way genomics developed in New Zealand is it was something that the breeding companies developed for themselves 
And what we're, and this is why I'm talking about this as a two-step process, uh, a lot of what we've done with NZAL 2.0 was to get us set up so that we could step into a national genomic evaluations using the data from all of the different sources, including the two breeding companies that we've talked a lot about, but others that are not necessarily in this room. Uh, we need to think about how we get the data from those sources into this system as well. It's kind of a reflection of the way New Zealand developed this and used this technology, and we're looking now to combine it into one consolidated approach. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast was made with the support of The Dairy Exporter, For more information or to subscribe to the magazine, go to our website, nzfarmlife.co.nz slash dairyexporter or call us on 0800 224 782. You can also find us on Facebook at NZ Dairy Exporter for news and updates or Instagram at NZ Dairy Exporter, all one word. Now back to the show. So when you compare New Zealand, our NZAEL animal evaluation system to overseas, is New Zealand a little bit behind in that we don't have genomics as an index at the moment? So genomics is available in New Zealand and it is being used by the breeding companies, LIC and CRV, and most of the other private companies have access to genomic evaluations from other countries. Where we've kind of lagged behind a little bit is that we didn't have one consolidated approach to it. And so we've approached it in a slightly divided approach. And now what we're looking to do is to bring this together and take full advantage of all of the performance records we have on animals, whether they're coming from one of the two competing uh, herd records providers, LIC and CRV, and all of the genotypes that are available whether they've been collected by LIC or CRV or somebody else. And potentially that lets us also take genotypes from bulls from other countries and run them through our system and think, well, actually, have these got any potential to add some value to New Zealand farmers? So it's, it's quite ambitious, and this technology is not trivial. So we've got a lot of work to do in the next 12 months if we're going to deliver all of this. And practically, what does it do to the accuracy for making your breeding decisions if you are using a genomics index? Yeah, I alluded to that. I mean, uh, when you have a newborn calf, its ancestry gives a reliability of 30 to 40%. With genomics, that figure can increase to 50 to 60%. And that's where the technology is at the moment. I would expect it will probably improve in the future. Mm. So, So we're only starting to really get the tip of this iceberg. So it's pretty exciting if you think you can double that accuracy for farmers on on making those decisions. Mm. And and that's the point. It's more accurate and it's at a younger age. So you sort of get a double whammy here that you get greater accuracy and you make the decisions letting the generations turn over more rapidly. So John, what does that mean for farmers practically on farm? I mean, that would be a huge result for them. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it means that um, they've got that genomic uh, information at their fingertips. It pretty much means that they're able to make decisions today a lot faster than what they used to be able to make. It gives them the ability to make their breeding and culling decisions earlier, potentially as well, or with a bit more accuracy at least. And as Brian's talked about, you know, that um, the 30 40% uh, ancestry of a calf at the moment was is now lifted up to that 50 to 60%. And look, 
you know, our investment as a company and, and LICs as well has been was very expensive in the early days and it's that price is coming down so we can expect to see that reliability um, improve over the years. So, um, you know, that's exciting as well. So the accuracy will only get better. And the accuracy does vary by trait, but high accuracy will give farmers more confidence to pick bulls. And we also know that our global farmers are using this a lot more, as Brian has talked about. Um, what I just add here that, uh, you know, we don't have one genomic index here in New Zealand at the moment, but um, we do have a very focused way of farming in this country, which is that we are block carving pasture based. And so we do have, the stars are aligned, if you like, that we actually already do all farm very, very similar in this country. And with the different influences that are hitting our market in the future, uh, whether it be animal welfare, you know, sustainability or environmental impacts, all farmers will go through that. So the opportunity um, to use genomics to make the best decisions faster is pretty exciting. And how do you think New Zealand farmers' confidence has grown with using genomic selection? Well, if we look at the numbers, and by that I mean um, uh, how genomic sales have increased over the years, I would say that their confidence is absolutely uh, growing. I think initially in the early days, Confidence was checked there for a bit because the uh, technology in New Zealand was in its infancy. But uh, absolutely in the last five years, we've seen uh, farmers desiring and wanting more and more um, genomic size. So I think that's only going to grow. When you consider what's happening outside of New Zealand and how farmers have adopted it very quickly in the last sort of 10 years, we'll be playing catch up there. So what do you think is needed to get that across the line and what will it mean for CRV customers? Well, both ourselves and LIC have invested significantly in our own genomic research and, and the key will to be ensure a good stewardship of that work. And by that, I mean, we've spent lots of money and each company considers that this information that we have is our own IP. And so uh, as we go over the next 12 months working with uh, NZAL, it, we would like to understand how that information will be used and shared across the industry. As I said, there's an increasing trend of farmers using genomic bulls and DNA testing in their herd. Uh, you know, farmers will benefit from having a national value that they can refer to when selecting genomic animals, and that's that's pretty key, I think. As I've talked about, the way we farm in New Zealand is from farm to farm is very, very similar. We have different feeding systems, but because we're at the bottom of the globe and we export 95% of what we produce, we pretty much have to be as efficient as we can. And so having one genomic index will mean that a farmer um, has got a level playing field to select his size to breed his cows. So uh, that's pretty important. And as I said, genomics helps to bring tomorrow's genetics into our herd earlier than we normally would. So, And the collaboration and the relationship you have built over the last 12 months, does that you know, give you confidence that you will be able to get this across the line? Look, you know, the collaboration that we've had in the last wee while is brilliant. I think there's a lot of trust in the group. We want to do what's right for the farmer. We want to do what's right for New Zealand Inc. and agriculture. And um, look, let's face it, dairy is going to some challenging times globally in the next wee while. You know, there's a lot more pressure on the price of uh, protein in the world. And um, so, yeah, look, it does give me confidence. However, as Brian's talked about, there's some real commercial decisions that have to be made here by all parties. Both parties will be seeking confidence that if we were to share our genomics, that then that information uh, will get used wisely and fairly. Absolutely. So, John, how does the BW Index work in with CRV's NZ Merit Index, which is NZMI? 
Uh, look, they're very closely aligned. You, Brian talked earlier about the different traits that make up BW. We have those same traits in NZMI and a few, uh, well, a few others, one of them being farmer opinion. So that's how a farmer enjoys milking the animal. One is uh, capacity, and that's the capacity of the animal to produce, and another one is um, overall udder. And then we have those other traits that BW does, just weighted slightly different. So they are very, very much aligned. Uh, we consider that the traits of BW plus ours are, uh, add up to that health and efficiency that we talk about in the marketplace. We like to breed a cow that farmers um, that like to milk, which is where the uh, farmer opinion comes in. But um, look, you know, we absolutely use BW in addition to our NZMI. We breed for our NZMI. But the great thing is, because they're so similar, that generates a BW through NZAL that our farmers can uh, make decisions with. For us, NZMI is a future gains in- index. Uh, when you consider BW, it's an economic index. And so we we like to think that we're breeding a cow that will be needed in 10 years' time. BW, uh, being the economic index, is reflective of the last uh, five years. So annually changes are made to the weighting of those inputs. Sure, I'd just, yes. just like to come in at this point. You know, in the discussion of the difference between the BW and the NZMI, one of the things that we're kicking off this year is a, a look at the whole process by which we arrive at the BW and how we weight the traits to try and ultimately make sure it is more forward-looking and about the animals of the future. So there's a, there is a significant review that will take place probably a bit of this year and a bit of next year before it's all done is, is I think where we're at at the moment. And ultimately, we want to try and find a way of having a sort of a very much an industry agreed approach to the sort of cows that we're going to breed for the future. Because, I mean, all of us are making decisions about the future. And, of course, if we go out far enough, we're not the ones that are going to be benefiting from that. And I guess we've got quite an obligation to leave a population of animals that the next generation of farmers are going to find uh, useful to use and profitable to use. You know, and that's exciting for us to hear because it doesn't matter what breeding company you are, you're effectively trying to breed a sire that a dairy farmer will want to breed the cow that uh, he or she needs for the future. And uh, that's really hard. Uh, you know, uh, breeding takes a long time. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, with genomics, we can sort of fast track that by two to three years, which is great news, but um, it's tricky. Every year we're wondering what's going to happen in the dairy industry. Things are becoming a little bit more pointed, I, I guess you could say. We we are having a clearer picture of what the next 10 years are like. So to hear that BW at least will be getting looked at to think uh, to be a bit more forward-focused is great. That's great, John, because CRV is, has started to introduce some of those breeding traits around environment for your low-end sires. Those sort of traits, do you see them potentially coming into BW, Brian, in terms of environment, sustainability? Absolutely. So anything that's ultimately going to be important to farmers in the future is going to be need to come into the BW and be included in it. There is a lot of research currently going on and low in, you know, urine nitrogen is a serious issue, also into methane. Now, these traits are not that easy to measure, so it's pretty important to get the research right before we try and put it in place. But the old adage is as true as ever. If you can measure it, if it's heritable and it's economically important, then you can improve it using breeding. And that's kind of, I think, the way to think about these environmental traits, you know, make sure we measure them, uh, figure out how to do that, make sure we understand 
what genetics is doing for these traits. If they have, if genetics has no influence, then let's don't waste our time trying to breed for it. Although I would say, in my experiences, I don't think I've ever come across anything that didn't have a genetic component to it. And of course, it needs to be economically important in some shape or form. So farmers mm-hmm. are going to get paid for uh, producing these animals that have these environmental attributes. But I, I think what's really exciting is that, you know, with these really expensive me- to measure traits, and methane is in that category, genomics is a tool that once we've uh, perhaps measured uh, methane output on a large number of experimental animals, then we can train a genomic prediction and start making some breeding decisions without having to try and measure every animal for methane. And so that's really quite an exciting development that is going to go into our toolkit for approaching or, or to try and improve the environmental impact of dairy cattle. And if you look at our, you know, our breeding philosophy, particularly for trying to breed that cow for the next 10 years, we're, we're relatively confident that this environmental discussion around uh, nitrogen uh, leaching, nitrous oxide, methane, we're confident that's not going away. Uh, this is not just happening in New Zealand. This is a global pressure that's on dairy farmers, and and that's why we've taken the punt to start investigating this. You know, seven eight years ago is where we started the nitrogen journey, along with farmers coming to us and with great frustration uh, from an animal welfare perspective around eczema in their herd. And so we've uh, endeavoured to start breeding a, a sire that is more tolerant towards eczema. And as um, as Brian quite rightly points out, you know. These things have to be measurable, uh, and we're still working through uh, what that looks like. But the thing is with breeding, if you don't start tomorrow, when you do actually have something in an index like BW, you're well behind the eight ball. So we've started this, and our, our, our anticipation is that regardless of you know other companies or NZAL, the pressures will come on our dairy industry in New Zealand where we will need to measure the nitrogen that we're leaching off a farm or out of an animal, and also the methane. So... Uh, our intention is that we're breeding for the BW that we'll be using in maybe 10 years' time. And through the results you've had so far, John, do you see that we can breed an animal that's going to fit into the future and meet some of these targets that dairy farmers have? Yeah, we've got our science in the background and we're working with um, Dairy NZ and LIC to try and prove some of that. Uh, we have our hypotheses and, and the numbers that we see. So yes, is the short answer. We we do see that with nitrogen. With eczema, it's a little bit uh, trickier. There's um, all sorts of issues that come into measuring that with a dairy cow, the key one being animal welfare, uh, because eczema is effectively a disease. And, and, and what we currently use at the moment is a um, is quite toxic to an animal and zinc to treat it. So there's all sorts of challenges around that. But um, a bit like what Brian said, you know, we we haven't really yet seen something that um, genetics hasn't got some form of a solution for. Different weightings for different issues, but um, no, we do see. Otherwise, we wouldn't waste our time making it part of our breeding scheme. And like you say, Brian, the earlier you can start measuring these things, I guess the more data you get and the more accuracy you can put on these new traits that you do start yeah, and, and I think, at. Cheryl, we, we need to also be thinking quite broadly about some of these things. I've seen this work in other countries. So, for example, uh, susceptibility to bovine tuberculosis. If you put together all the data that is available from all the TB testing that's done, and I've seen this in a couple of other countries, you can establish a genetic mechanism for susceptibility to TB. In New Zealand, we perhaps haven't got things together as 
quite as good as some of the others have. I'm referring here specifically to the the post-mortem information that's available from slaughter animals, and that's one of the areas that we really want to have a good close look at is how we can get the data flowing from the slaughter factories back into uh, ultimately animal evaluation and breeding schemes because that's it's kind of inexpensive in a way because the data is already out there somewhere and we just haven't managed to bring it together and make it available for research and then ultimately perhaps for routine evaluation systems so there's a lot of there's a lot more that we can do for these other traits and arguably perhaps for some of the existing traits so is NZAL pushing for some of this data and asking breeding companies to be looking outside at some of these other issues? NZAL operates something called DIGAD, the Dairy Industry Good Animal Database. And ultimately this is about having data available for research and for helping breed better animals for the future. And we're really having a really good look at that and saying, well, what data do we have and what data is out there that we don't have? And and certainly we're, we're going to get very active in this space in the next uh, year or two. So bringing all the herd improvement companies together in this national genomic value, does that excite you of what can potentially happen in the future? I sometimes wish I was born uh, somewhat more recently than I was. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it is a terribly exciting times. And I think we're kind of early in the development of these technologies. So we do have a a big challenge in front of us as to how to understand them and uh, make best possible use for breeding animals for the future. And I would encourage anybody listening that's got a young person that might be interested in in getting involved in this, you know, get yourself lined up and get some good training and uh, give me a call and I'll find you a PhD project or something. (laughs) It's, um, you know, for me, it's exciting. Uh, there's challenges coming afoot, but uh, through challenges usually comes opportunity. And that's something that as, as New Zealand farmers, we've always capitalised on. We've, we've had many challenges over the years. There's lots of different things that we've pioneered globally that other um, countries have taken up. For me, when I look at dairy farming, as like Brian, I've worked in other countries, is that we're not so much individual countries doing our own thing now. The issues in dairy farming in most countries are all very, very similar. Will we have one global genomic index? You know, I don't know about that so much, but are we going to become more aligned with other um, daring nations? I'd say that if there's ever a time where we could that could happen, it's probably in the next 10 years. Well, I'm not too sure what you think about that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very good point, and, and it's one that um, has always been very close to my heart in terms of how does a New Zealand farmer, and the way this is how I would sort of think about it, how does a New Zealand farmer know where the best possible animal in the world is for use on their farm? Mm. And what we've done over a number of years is to try and uh, design and build infrastructure that actually delivers that to you. And, and some of the farmers will be familiar with Interval, which is our mechanism for doing that. And that's developed over the last 30-odd years to something that we kind of take for granted, that you know we receive a file from uh, Sweden three times a year with every bull in the world on it and New Zealand units. And uh, we blend that back in and we provide it to breeding companies mm. and uh, it's available there for people to think about that question, you know. 
where are the best ones in the world for me? And every farmer in the world is, is asking kind of that same question. So the system has to suit them all. So I think John's right. I mean, we are much more connected up than we perhaps sometimes think we are. And there has been a lot going on in the last 30 years to try and build that. And I think you can expect to see more of that in the future. I suppose, John, is uh, when we're looking at big issues like methane, there's a balance between looking after New Zealand genetics versus tapping into some of the overseas research going into this, which doesn't come free, does it? No, it doesn't. But, um, you know, being a Dutch-owned company as we are, we've already started this research in Holland. Um, this is not something that is new to uh, Europe. This is something that's been going on for a wee while. So we're, we're part of the way through that. Will that research absolutely translate into how we need to um, use it in New Zealand? No, probably not. But nonetheless, it's still valuable. We've started that journey offshore and um, we're in the process of working with uh, Dairy NZ and um, LIC and, and other industry bodies to work through what methane means for our industry going forward and what we can do better in that space. Fantastic. So, Brian, if farmers have questions about the re-ranking of their own animals after these 2.0 changes, who can they talk to? They need to talk to their herd records provider, so their Minder or Insight service provider, I think are the two options for farmers in New Zealand. We sort of sit in the background and uh, the really tricky ones that nobody can answer will ultimately come through to us and we will make sure we find an answer to those questions. Well, thanks to my guests today, Brian Wickham and John Lee. For more information about today's topic, go to the CRV website or check out the CRV Facebook page. Join me next time when I'll be chatting with the CRV team about the stars of this year's new Sires catalogue. Thanks for listening to CRV Ambreed's Better Heard podcast. Read more about today's topic and our panel guests by visiting CRV Ambreed's website www.crv for all that's the number 4 all.co.nz or follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Check out our upcoming topics and join us again soon for your better heard fix. Better heard.